What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast, sponsored by Lead411 and Gong.io. Check them out. They got great technology to help you get into the modern sales world and be as successful as humanly possible. I'm joined here today by my good friend, Richard Harris, and Darian Pascuzzi. Did I say that? Sure did. I passed the the test a little bit. Darian is a... uh, Senior Account Executive in uh, Raleigh-Durham area, right? Yep, sure am. All right, welcome to the show, Darren. Thank you, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about what you're up to right now and, and give the audience context of you know, the type of sale that you're in, the sales cycle, the deal size, the, you know, the product, that kind of stuff, just so people have context of your background. Yeah, so I am the anomaly. I am in staffing and solution sales. So I don't sell a product because I sell humans. So the only product that can actively say no and decide not to be a product anymore. Um, so my uh, annual revenue is anywhere from five to seven million. It's largely new business or clients that, you know, we had alienated at some point that I was responsible for reinvigorating and rebuilding trust and relationships. Uh, Average deal size, we do it by placement. So I would say it's anywhere from 50K to 80K per deal. Average four a month is standard, did nine a month last year. Uh, COVID's put a little bit of a damper on it, so not quite at those numbers this year, but um, still a need for people in the workforce and therefore still a need for our business. One of the things that, that you just mentioned, I think would be great to start start off our conversation with is this like resurrection sales. We, we used to affectionately call somebody the necromancer back at one of my jobs because they bring these deals back from the dead. So I, I want to know like, what are your couple tips and strategies for, for reviving a, a, a customer that, you know, had churned out previously and kind of bringing them back into the, the fold? Yeah, so I think it's a lot of skill that is, uh, is not taught enough, which is social skill and just social cues and being able to be likable with a client. So I can be very transparent and very blunt with my clients in a very pleasant way. So if I know that they've been on the receiving end that has been unpleasant, I'll call it for what it is and just say, hey, you know, I know it hasn't been a great road so far, but I'm very good at what I do. If you'll just give me a few minutes of your time, I promise you won't regret it. You know, I make a habit of not wasting people's time. Um, and then I've, I've put a lot of time and effort into getting my LinkedIn recommendations to be robust so that I have them to point back to and say, hey, don't just take my word for it. You know, check out what my clients have to say on my LinkedIn so that you have, you know, someone else verifying worth of, of time. So, so I just... So you're using your LinkedIn to help you with your social selling to confirm your goodness from your customers, not just the people you've worked with. Yeah. So I don't live in y'all's world. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm very, I'm very really new good. to that. Um, so I didn't know that LinkedIn was this whole influencer platform. Um, just, I had never looked at it that way. I work for a relatively non-social media driven company and no one knows how to effectively sell using social media. So it's been a lot of trial and error. Someone suggested getting recommendations and then I just kind of fall head first from there and see where it takes me. And so that's where it landed. Your, 
Was your initial thought on recommendations, oh, I should go get customer recommendations, or was it on, oh, I should get peer recommendations? So I have a lot more customers than peers, <laughs> and my customers stick around longer than my peers, so it made more sense to start with the customers. That's, I mean, like, Scott, that's absolutely the opposite of anything I was ever thought of or taught. You? Yeah. I, I, I didn't learn that. I had... I uh, reps of mine who started doing that. So I think it's, I think it's a good, a good move and a good play and uh, yep. might not be the way that a lot of people use it, but I think it's a great idea. I think it's a really smart idea, right? Cause then it yeah. becomes, it becomes more than about you. That's really cool. Like that's, that's what I love about talking to people who don't do the traditional, right? Um, well, they use the platform differently than you know many of the rest of us yeah. in a good way. So how do you, how else, just out of curiosity, so you work for this org that wasn't, you know, and, and not through, not through badness, but just, just wasn't socially in the norm for them. And you've trialed and errored things. What have you trialed and errored? Cause I'm, I'm curious if you've found this whole other realm. No, not necessarily. I mean, we just, we utilize it from a different perspective, right? So I have LinkedIn recruiter, which normally is for recruiters, but I use it from a sales perspective because again, I'm putting people to work. So if I see an executive who is open to new opportunities, that's a great person for me to target on the front end and just say, hey, can I help? And then hopefully build an ally when they go to another company, lessens my sales cycle for new business development, creates more warm leads, um, you know, and it, it lends well to what I like to do, which is help, so. I have a question for you around the ATS, the applicant tracking system. I can, great. Tell, I can tell by your smirk, you're like, uh oh, what, what, is, what is coming? Um, somebody once said to me that for people in the recruiting field and in recruiting sales, that the ATS is their version of the CRM. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? What do you, and, and how are you using your ATS and what kind of tips would you give people uh, to, to be as effective as possible in their utilization of the tool? ATSs are largely broken. Uh, it's a broken tool. It, it's supposed to generate, from my side of the fence, if I need to find a person, um, I should be able to type in a relatively simple search string and it should pull up a qualified group of individuals and it doesn't. So it's all about creative thinking as far as what combo of words can you combine together to lead to the result that you want, um, which makes it really hard from a candidate perspective because there's no science behind it, not really. Um, and not only that, but the companies that I support, a lot of them don't write their own job descriptions. They are kind of auto-generated. So even if you're using keywords, it doesn't mean that it aligns to what they're looking for at all. So, I mean, I very much believe in what I've seen from LinkedIn advice, which is bypass the ATS altogether, go straight to the people that make decisions and don't waste your time trying to figure out an algorithm that doesn't exist. So, so then is LinkedIn your better CRM? Yes, by far. And can you, and again, I don't live in this world, so I, I don't know. Can you track your applicant pool? Could you track, and I don't know the HR side of the, the tool, can you track them like that, but maybe you can't put them through quote unquote a sales cycle like a CRM? 
Yeah, so essentially what you would do is you'd use LinkedIn Recruiter for that kind of beginning phase, your, your discovery phase, and then you move them into, like, we have an internal CRM, so you would move them internally. Um, it's just, it's not, it's not an overwhelmingly successful system in order to, you're really using more like three or four CRMs. So what else are you using? So LinkedIn Recruiter, Dynamics, our internal um, CRM system, and then we're migrating to Bullhorn. It was going to be eRecruit. It's kind of whatever the flavor is of so the year. What, so you, you said it a minute ago. You said it's broken, right? And, and just from a, a query perspective was the one thing, right? Clearly, this is also part of the problem too, right? It's this disparate amount of, of information. What other kinds of things are broken? So we've determined the query search is broken. We've determined that the single source of truth is broken. What else? I mean, I would say the entire hiring process. I mean, I would say anybody who's been through an interview would say that it's, it's illogical and it goes against how humans are designed. I mean, I can't tell you how many people don't hire great candidates that are the right candidates <laughs> because they answered a question wrong or they, I don't know, stuttered or... How is it... Designed wrong. Like I, I've been through, you know, Scott and I joke about we love going through the interview process, maybe just because we're masochistic. I don't know. But, um, you know, what what would a good hiring process look like might be the better question. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say not to not to offend, but it'll probably sound offensive. Please offend you know, and you can curse for, me if you want. For people who like to talk about themselves and have no problem talking about their value and, you know, don't have the same line of, you know, teetering between overconfident and selling yourself, you know, interviews can be great. But most of us are taught to not be arrogant or, you know, strong females are often told that confidence comes across as arrogance or um, can come across aggressive if you own your confidence. And so it's really hard to toe that line in an interview because you, you want to be sure of yourself and you, you want to sell yourself, but that's not always well received on the other end. I mean, so I had a candidate. Mean? So what, I just, cause I, we love, you know, we love to talk about the challenges that the women face because we want to shed light on that. What do you mean? What's an example of like owning your confidence? Like, like what should, what advice would you give to a woman about owning it and as, whether we like it or not, making sure that they do it in a way, which I hate that they have to, in terms of, of, you know, getting through the interview process. Like, how do you coach a woman? How do you say that to somebody? Because I don't know. I mean, so it sounds anti-feminist, right? But my view is always start with your partner or your spouse or your best friend if you, you know, aren't there. But, you know, have them identify your value for you. You know, ask them what is, what's my superpower? Because we are really bad at identifying our own strengths. And so, you know, have someone else tell you what your superpower is and explain it from their perspective. It's always very different. And then, you know, lean into that, do prep. I, I strongly believe in interview prep. It should be, you know, four to eight hours of sitting down and really diving into your experience and where your value add is so that you aren't opinionated in your approach. You are fact-driven, right? This is what I did, how I did it, why I did it, what I delivered back to the business at the end of the day and sheer, you know, direct terms. Um, but it, 
it's an approach that hasn't really been solved yet. I find that women, they try to convince the person on the other side of the hiring process of their value to make a lateral move, which, which makes no sense. So husband and wife, true story. Husband and wife are in a very similar role. She has stronger soft skills. He's a little bit more technical, but going, you know, slightly different variations of the same career path. He walks into my client and says, I need 160K and he gets 160K and the negotiations lean heavily his favor. The wife comes to me and says she's making 110 currently and wants to make a move and then sits there and justifies to me for an hour why she deserves to make 110 at her next job. Like, no, <laughs> right? Start ahead. And if, if you can't, blame your spouse, right? My husband would never let me make a lateral move. He tells me I need at least a 10% increase. You know, it's his fault. No one questions that. It's crazy. But if, if we live in a sexist world, which we still do, it's work in progress. We can't solve it overnight. So, so what do we do? So what do we do to that? What do we do to that, to that woman? Or you know, what do we say to that woman to get her to realize that's something she might want to fix in the interview process, right? Because the good news is she did it with you as the recruiter. So you could, you know, hopefully coach her a little bit to, okay, this is what you need to do. I mean, but I've heard it even on like our Friday happy hours that, you know, women just, they justify their experience in very long terms. They're afraid to take leaps of faith. If a guy looks at a job description and says, oh yeah, I've got one of those things out of 12, I'm totally applying for that job and I'm totally going to get it and I'm going to ask for more than they're offering. A woman will sit there and look at all 10 items and say, oh, well, I don't have one, so, you know, I can't apply. <laughs> and if she doesn't have one, she'll try to sell herself for 95K instead of 110, which, again, makes no sense. Um, and so a lot of this is just coaching and education, right? And, so what, and there's, what do we coach them to? Like, it's one thing to say, come on, Darian, you know, you're worth more than that, right? Like, that's, that's a piece of it. But how do you actually coach that person before they go into the interview? I tell them to lean on their spouse. I mean, it's so intrinsic and it runs so deep that you, you can't coach them through it in a one a one-time thing. It has to be. So, yeah. So I'm going to go deep on this and then I'll let Scott ask some questions. But what do you mean lean on yourself? You tell me to lean on myself. Lean on your spouse. Okay, tell me what that means. Oh, lean on your spouse. Okay. Got it. Um, and by leaning on my spouse, what am I doing? Like, what am I, honey, give me a pep talk, honey, here's my challenge. This is what the recruiter said. Can you help me yeah. sort of digest it and like, that that's what I'm trying to get to is like, what are these tactics, right? Like, what is it someone who's listening could go, Oh my God, I should totally go to my spouse and say, Hey, here's where I think I'm weak in my job interview skills. You know, here's what I think I want yeah, to so say. I would say role play. This yeah. Week, so I would say right? three things. I would say, you know, let them help drive your salary negotiation. So if you're underselling yourself and someone tells you you're underselling yourself, stop justifying it and just take someone else's outside advice for once. I would say the other piece is role-playing interview prep because women use a lot of words. My husband and I joke, there's science that says women have 20,000 words a day. They need to use all of them. Men have 10,000, right? So it's important to practice how to be concise. And Scott, you do not have, Scott, I don't have 10,000 words. Do you even have 10,000 words? Absolutely not. I, I would irritate myself using 10,000 words. No. I already irritate myself with what I have. So, uh, but sorry to interrupt Darian, but anyway, but you're right. Like 
teaching them to coach themselves around that. What was, I think I interrupted. No, it's okay. The third thing was really, um, you know, have, have an outside perspective on what your superpower is because we just, we sell ourselves short a lot. So have someone else tell you what's great about you. Don't sit there and argue back with them that it's not right. Again, take outside perspective and embrace it. (laughs) What, what's an example of a superpower? What's your superpower? So my boss asked me once what it was. And I think I told him, I just have the ability to handle more seamlessly, right? Like I'm, I'm a very good multitasker. I can just, I can handle a bigger workload and not let anything drop because I'm very detail oriented and process oriented. And it's, it's really not that it's my ability to drive trust and relationships with my clients and creative solution around their needs and, you know, embrace a customer first mindset that has nothing to do with me or the company. It's all about them and their problems and how to solution them and then relate it back to how to do so in a profitable way for the company. But I could have never identified that for myself. (laughs) So you're, you're in an industry that has, has gone through something wild in the last like six months, right? Um, what have you had to do in order to maintain, you know, the highest level of performance that you can hit your, hit your quota? Have you had to triple your metrics? Have you, has your pipeline needed to go from 3x, you know, pipeline to revenue goal to 10? What, what has had to change? My pipeline is easily 10% of what it ever has been. Um, 10%. It's, so it's, yeah. you've lost 90% of your pipeline. Oh, yeah. And a lot of that is your book. I mean, I, I told you I'd read it before the podcast. I did. And I, I sent it to my regional VP because I was like, this is it. It's that simple. You have a process and you identify what steps lead to success. And in a time where you have a lower pipeline, lower opportunity, you drive the process on a really granular level. And so I may have a lower pipeline, but I'm closing a higher percentage and I'm, I'm coming out even, which for me right now is. That's a win. That's a big I'm a, win. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. All things considered, that's a, that's a big win. So you've, yeah. so you've optimized for a different part. It's not the upper end of the funnel. You're converting at a higher rate right now. Driving conversations, understanding business needs better, and then making sure that whatever solution we put in front of the client is, is the one. Like no ifs, ands, or buts. <laughs> yeah. And is everybody following suit? Or, or how do I – let me phrase this differently. What are you doing that other people there are not doing that's keeping you kind of level set? Right. And are you able to identify those things and then kind of actively coach some of your, your colleagues on, on this stuff? Yeah. So I got really lonely at the beginning of COVID because I missed my clients. And so I found the Friday sales happy hour and it's an industry I don't know. And it's a bunch of people I don't know. And I don't really like new people all that much, all that, you know, all the time. Um, So I got really involved from that aspect, right? I joined once. I figured worst case, I could just shut my computer real fast. They'd never know it was there. Um, Had an opportunity to say something, met friends, got really ingrained in an entirely different community that I never would have thought of because it's not what I view as relative to my business immediately. Um, But it, it opened up a serious network for me and that's driven tremendous value, right? Because it's just thinking outside the box, going to the people you never 
the people you think you're going to have to justify to your regional VP that you're spending time with, those are the people I'm spending time with, and it's driving significant value. Yeah, and, and that's something that I would imagine you're going to continue doing for the rest of your, your career now, right? Yeah, I mean, not letting other people justify where I spend my time is probably the single biggest thing I did. It took me from, you know, X number of dollars and then tripled it in, you know, six months because I recognized where decision makers were that we, we bonded or we had something that really connected us. And I figured out what cadence worked for them and really honed in on once a week cadences with those people, identified new ones the next year to add on. Um, and I would say that this is no different. It's just a different capacity. It's just opening the people I'm looking at. Is it, and, and what channel has been working the best in your industry? Is it literally these like micro communities or like a, like a virtual happy hour type thing or, um, you know, smaller groups uh, inside of LinkedIn or, you know, is it tried and true cold calling emails, you know, handwritten letters like, what are, the, what are the channels that work best? Video, what is working best for you right now? I mean, usually our organization requires almost full-on stalking of other humans. So it's really a lot of research into, you know, how long have they been there? Where'd they come from? What school did they go to? What school did their kids go to? What's their Facebook say? What's their Instagram say? What's their LinkedIn say? What are their recommendations say? like driving new conversations because, hey, I noticed you have really good leadership recommendations on LinkedIn. That's not very common. Can we chat? Or, you know, it's, it's, very, it's very creative. There's no one, one way to do it. It's... Well, what's the most creative way that you've got a meeting that turned into a, turned into a deal in the last six months? I'd say honing in on people's leadership capabilities. Right, because it's something I, I mean, if what did you, what did you do? You just send a LinkedIn message. Hey, I saw that you have really great LinkedIn recommendations because of your leadership skills. That's not super common. I'd love to connect and figure out how you're achieving that, you know, shape my own career. Has, has there been, has there any attempt on your part to do anything like totally wild and, and creative or zany? Nothing like that? In, you in that? my industry, that is wild and creative. We're oh. like the stone age. <laughs> I can't, Richard. My brain just like can't compute. I'm like, I know. Asking, it's, it's I like try what to is the question, again. and Darian's like, "No, you don't get it." <laughs> right. That's the best part. That's the best part. Let's let's pull out of this for a little bit. Um, let's let's go back to to earlier in your life. Like, what made you decide you liked sales in, in the sense of recruiting is some kind of a sales job, right? Um, when did, were you super competitive? What were you like? Yeah, so I was an elite gymnast. Um, actually, if you look at the Michigan gymnastics scandal, Coach John, who coached our women's Olympic team to gold, was my coach when I was living in Michigan. So at age seven, my parents used to drive me two hours to the gym and two hours back from the gym six days a week uh, so that I could train under him. And then we moved to Paris, France, and I lived with my Romanian gymnastics coach over there and trained full-time and homeschooled and then moved to Boston and decided I was going to drop it and, you know, really upset my parents and then got into competitive springboard diving instead. And then, you know, hit some family blips for many years. And I mean, I think when you're that competitive, that young, it's just in your DNA at that point. 
But but do you know? Do you remember even before you saw before you started doing gymnastics? Did you see it and go, "I want to do that"? Like, do you? Remember I was that like two. But you started that early. Oh yeah, you only start okay. gymnastics at age two or three. After that, you are old and you are out of luck. <laughs> really? Yes, and wow. you are done by like twenty max. Right, right. So that's that's crazy. So what? So talk maybe a little bit about. I guess if it was burnout on gymnastics. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. You get tired of people telling you that you're fat and trying to starve you. I mean, that's just when you're that young, I was 11 when I quit and you just get tired of it. You get tired of giving your whole life, having no, you know, outside of the competitive factor, the, the cons start to outweigh the pros. Um, so, I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. It was burnout. What, what do you see? Now tying that back into sales, right? I'm sure you've seen a lot of people burn out, right? Yeah, I mean, I had my own burnout. I would say last year, my mom died in May and it, I was on a really supercharged hamster wheel uh, driving my best year ever and I just hit a wall and I, I embraced the wall and learned a really important lesson that you don't have to be going at 200% all the time because then you burn out. <laughs> Right, that there's times to supercharge if you have a great pipeline in front of you, then, you know, absolutely embrace it because it's not always there. And then if things are slow, right, give yourself some grace and take it slow, right? Keep your eye on the prize, drive your pipeline, keep opportunities coming in. But there's times to work 70 hour weeks, there's times to enjoy your 40. So, you, first of all, I'm sorry to hear about your mom. Um, oh, thank you. It, as I say, it's one of those clubs we all join. Nobody wants to pay the membership dues, right? Yes. Um, what, so what did you do to slow yourself down? Like it's easier said than done, right? Like sometimes we go through those things and we dive ourselves back into work, whether it's a breakup or a job loss or something. How did you finally slow yourself down or give yourself permission to slow down? I didn't. It knocked me off the hamster wheel for me. I, I didn't have a choice. I didn't want to answer the phone. I didn't want to talk to anyone, right? I didn't have any words left to say. I just I, I just wanted to exist. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it was a really complicated relationship, and so there was a lot to process. But it, uh, it was more the how do you get back on the hamster wheel that I struggled with. And so what, what worked, that was hard. How, what works? How did, you, how did you dig yourself out of the, the burnout? I made small commitments to myself every day that I would answer like three phone calls that day. And I just, I made myself do it. And then, you know, maybe five, <laughs> you know, I, I leaned on my team. I have one colleague that I've shared a really good relationship with. And so, you know, just being transparent, that's what everything I've done is built on is just saying, Hey, I, I can't talk to humans right now, but I'm not trying to hold up our business. We're a team can you have these conversations for me? And then, you know, I'll drive the sales effort, but instead of being involved in the whole thing at such a high speed capacity, you know, can you help me take some stuff off my plate so that I can manage what's critical to the business, which is driving the sales process one notch at a time. Yeah. The micro goals are yeah. super important. I've talked about this all the time, even if you're not in burnout, it's really important to me to kind of feed our egos and boost our confidence and show some modicum of success, that success propels us forward to have the confidence to try to do a little bit more. So I think, I think that's really good call out, um, you know, in, in the circumstances that that was something that 
that helped you, you know? Yeah. I mean, I like learning about human behavior and personalities and why we are intrinsic motivators and why we do what we do. And so I took the Enneagram test and I'm a 3W2. So I'm, I'm driven by adding value. So if you ask me what my five-year goal is or my 50-year goal, it's the same. I want to add value to, you know, the team that I have around me. And so COVID really, you know, to the micro goals, when you understand what, what you need to do for yourself to wake up every day and do it again, then it's easy to set those micro goals to feed whatever that intrinsic motivator is. And so for me, it's absolutely getting the small wins, feeling like I'm, I'm doing something, you know, and then someone gave me the great advice that you, you want to give your boss something valuable to take to their boss, right? So if I can't give you wins because I have no jobs open <laughs> and no one's answering the phone because there's no more phones to answer and, you know, people weren't answering emails because everybody was just inundated with transferring a team remote. So how do I find value? And that was just connecting with the market and figuring out who's hiring, who's laying off, where's our good talent pool, you know, where can we steal people? Where are our competitors having sex or not? Are, where are they having success? And then, you know, feeding that to, to my manager to take back to leadership so that, you know, we're, we're giving value somewhere on something. Yeah. What, what, did, what have you learned the most in your, your new journey into these different communities? You know, what is, what is the most, what are some of the things that have like stood out to you? Like, oh shit, how have I not been doing this? Oh my gosh, how have I been missing out on, on that? Uh, LinkedIn videos. <laughs> yeah, what, I mean, what, like, what about them? Like, they're cool well, just in general, right? That they, so we have one person in our entire company and we're the second largest global staffing firm. We have one, pe one person that people talk about that does LinkedIn videos and people are just in awe of her because she just does them. And so then I figured out that, you know, there's people who do this a lot. And then I figured out that there's people who do these as messages to other people as like direct mail. And that really blew my mind. <laughs> like I said, so, stone ages. <laughs> and so then at what, point, at what point then do you, at what point does Darian start doing them? Well, after my first happy hour with Morgan Ingram, when he told me to do it and I was like, okay, we'll see how it goes. What else am I doing? <laughs> so you've been, so now you've been doing them. Yeah, so I don't do them at the cadence that, you know, probably what you guys are used to. A lot of the IT managers that I work with are also a little bit a little bit more stone agey than millennial than millennial. So it's a little bit of a slower shift. But yes, I have embraced it and uh could use some advice on how to improve video quality or what to use because you know the camera thing on my computer just doesn't cut it. <laughs> It doesn't cut it? What do you mean it doesn't cut it? I, yeah, I feel I, like I need some lights or like some editing. Oh man. You're, 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 talking, you're talking to the wrong people on this one because Richard and I are as low as it comes, right? Oh, you got a light? Seriously, Richard? I can't believe it. See? Well, I, I was just saying it how looks low dark. we are. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, hopefully later this week when I move into the new office, that'll never have to happen again. So, um, it's hard to compete with Scott's handsomeness. So I have to do whatever I can. I don't worry about all these kind of things. Like I can't be bothered to worry about the lighting and get a green screen and get the right microphone. All that. See, all those things to me are prohibited from me getting shit done. So I'm, I'm in the camp that's just like, oh, well, I'm just going to do a video. I'm going to shoot it and I'm going to send it and whatever happens, happens. 
because you're a dude, right? We go back to the man versus woman concept. I feel like I am judged and critiqued at a different, I'm not Scott. I am not just loved by default because I have flowy hair and I wear a hat and I'm a dude, right? Like I got to work for that shit and people don't just like me. Actually, most people start off not liking and then meet me and are like, oh, she's, she's so nice. I thought you were so terrible. And then I met you. I'm like, I literally haven't changed as a human. You just put a face to it. Yeah, we can't all be you, Scott. Embrace it. Enjoy it for the rest of us. Darian, there's an episode I did for Surf and Sales where I interviewed his mother, his father, and and his brother all about Scott. And it's it's out there. Um, and my favorite comment is is when his mom just goes, he just used to have the longest, beautiful, flowing <laughs> hair. Like and he did. He had like this long mane. Like he he really Sarah looked like taken you know, <laughs> I like this so, direction uh, much better. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but it's, it's actually an interesting episode, but, um, cause you do get to learn about his mentality. Cause he, he is right. It's like, Scott has this great ability to go and say, that's just going to get in my way. Like, and we were talking about this earlier, literally right before you got on how like something I'm doing is like just taking up all this time. And he's like, dude, that's don't worry about it. And I'm like, yeah, but I got other stuff to do. So, um, no, I mean, it's true. In Friday happy hour, we talked about this, right? Like the difference between networking and having your, your pod, right? Because there's networking and there's creating communities and that's all fine and dandy. But at some point you, you create and then you pass off, right? Like you cannot just micromanage every single moving piece or you can't grow, right? At some point your time is worth something. And so if you spend it on a more valuable task item, you, that's, that's where you triple your success, right? If you continue doing the same shit and you continue trying to micromanage everything you do, you can't, you can't physically grow past a certain point. Yeah, and I think people are always trying to explore, like, where is the right place for me to put the most emphasis of my time that brings me the most return and, and all that kind of stuff. What's driving money? <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately, some of the things are, are difficult to track. That's one of the things that's difficult with social, for, for example. So, like, Richard and I were having this conversation about something that he's working on. He's like, I got I to gotta stop spending time with this and do some real work. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, this thing that you're doing over here, that's going to bring you real work, right? This is, it's, but it's very nebulous. Like there's no, it's very hard to connect, you know, dot A with dot B from this particular example. And I think- Because we like, we like to let other people define what we should be doing. You let someone else define what real work is because that's what someone else probably the person that doesn't even exist, right? That's what you think the definition of real work is. But if you remove that component and you stop justifying where you're spending your time and you take an honest look at what's driving revenue and profit, that's the real work, right? And that's what tripled my success was that realization that I'm going to check my corporate boxes, do what you tell me to do because that's how I keep my job. And then I'm going to, I'm going to do the real work of, you know, what generates revenue, <laughs> If only there was a place where you could focus on your own version of real work and only spend time in those areas, Richard, to optimize for your success. If only. Richard, you're on mute. I know. This is his favorite part of the show. So, um, I, you know, 
as I'm going through my own analysis of stuff, like I, I, I legitimately have come to the conclusion that I do have ADHD and I yes. can't focus as well. Adderall but, is amazing. Uh, Highly recommend. Exactly. So I'm, I'm working on some of that right now um, on, on the medical side. So, but that's always been my challenge too. And I think I just learned coping mechanisms over the years yeah. to, to do. Me with too. So, uh, and then I accepted fate God, I and it was awesome. Yeah. Yes, that I have no problem with. I'm happy to accept it. So give me the pill, yeah. right? My Sometimes we need help. So, yes. I absolutely. actually, I spoke to my uh, doctor about this and tried to defend all the reasons I didn't want to take it or didn't want to take an adequate dose. And she said, listen, Darren, if a doctor prescribed you blood pressure medicine, you'd never sit here and justify the dosage or taking of blood pressure medicine if it was going to keep you alive and healthy. So why are we having this conversation and I thought it was really great perspective because if you take other people's yeah. opinions and the stigmatism out of it, it's it's a different perspective. Yeah, I'm actually a huge advocate of mental health and and have written about it. In fact, the the post the thing Scott's talking about is I wrote a post yesterday about suicide prevention month and it kind of blew up on LinkedIn. I saw it. I'm just sort of like, you know, I'm just trying to like keep my head above water responding to everybody because I'm I'm wired that I need to, right? I grew up in Macon, Georgia, so I have this southern yep. hospitality thing in me that I gotta, I don't know that, and and you know I've got a Jewish mother, so like it's just like all this guilt coming down. Brene Brown so. has a really great book called The Gifts of Imperfection. It's all about shame and guilt I, and how to process. I know, I know, it's on the list. It's on the list. The list like, doesn't like matter if you don't it. do it. I even made my 11-year-old daughter read it. Uh, you, Scott, I've always said we should get a, co a guest host every now and then, and I think Darian's yeah, the one. She just called us all yeah, out. She just, I, I'm just glad that um, she also gave you some grief, because normally I'm the only one that gets grief from, from the guests. Yeah. So she's going I'm, an, I'm an equal opportunity employer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, had a, we have to uh, kind of wrap things up here. Darian, but how can we be helpful to you? What can we do to, to support you? Do you have any, you know, questions that you want to ask us? Is there any, you know, causes or things that you're involved with that you're passionate about that you want to give some airtime to? I mean, that's a lot of questions at once, right? Because the cause I'm, I'm a biggest fan of is mental health. And so, you know, I, I appreciate Richard, you putting it out there. I have a much harder time putting myself out there. I, I, I operate from a place of distrust of other humans and I, I feel like it will, you know, being honest will inhibit my, my future opportunities because um, people are extremely biased. And so I appreciate you kind of leading from the front. Um, I would say give yourself some grace that you can't respond to everybody. Sometimes there's power in putting out a mass post that says, Hey, I just can't, I'm trying and I'll, I'll do it as fast as I can. I don't want you to feel like you're alone out there just because I didn't respond on such an important issue. But, you know, there is a bandwidth thing too. Um, and then I would say from what you guys can do for me, I like to meet new cool people. So I like to learn from new people. If there's anyone that's open to a conversation on literally anything, there's value in all conversations for me right now. I'm very bored talking to not enough people. Um, and it's an excuse to have a break for my children, who I love dearly. But every time I'm on a Zoom call, dad takes them. It's yeah. great. Like, you know, we didn't even get into parenting. Like, that's a whole other topic that we could have Oh, yeah. Into. That's so being a working mom and what that brings up. Because I know that's a whole other issue in, in the hiring process. That's a full hour. 
Right. But I will tell you this. We renovated a bus into an RV, and then we bought another RV, and we came to Sneeds Ferry so that I can at least be at peace at the ocean while I deal with all of it. Are you, are you in it right now? Oh, yeah. Can you, can you lift up your camera and show us? This is awesome. That's fantastic. This, That's, is the best, this is the best setup that I've seen yet. Oh, my God. That's, so that's this is kids' beds. Right. And then over here we have their, like, dining space and workspace. Right. And then we've got kind of me over here. And then through the window, which you can't see, but there's – oh, yeah, you can. There's the RV over there. So we're right next to each other. Um, but it's the only – And you're by the ocean right there. Yeah, so we're steps away. So I've got a really great bridge over here that we go fishing under. Um, and then I've got a marina over here, and it's, you know, maybe 300 feet that direction, 100 feet that direction. So, I mean, we take lunch breaks by checking our crab pots and going fishing. And, you know, I used to say I was the only human that would never, ever, 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 ever fish. And I would never camp. And the first time my husband took the kids outdoor camping in tents, I stayed home. I mean, I literally stayed home by myself because I don't do bugs. So it's... It's been a journey. COVID has really changed me. <laughs> is, is, this a COVID, is, this a, is this because of COVID and you can work remotely? So let's yeah. par and go. When else am I going to get the opportunity? I mean, part of me says I hope never, right? Because I, I don't want to go through this again. The other part of me says I never want to go back to the life I was leading before because it was so lacking balance. I mean, it was, it was unfair to myself and I, I only did it to myself. So yeah, it's completely COVID-driven. We have an opportunity, and I wanted to seize it. Do you guys move it much, or are you like, this is just base camp, and we're here, but it's, I mean, we're, it's healthier? We're like 10 days in. So okay. right now, it's cheaper to stay for a month, and, you know, we still have a mortgage. So, you know, it's, it's a balancing act, and we love it here, and the sunsets are amazing, and it's very quiet. So no real reason to leave yet. Um, but my husband's active duty and still has to drive back and forth to base on occasion. So we got to stay within a certain, you know, space. Right. So that'll drive kind of where we're moving. But yeah, we want to see as much as we can while we can. Absolutely. Cool. Well, this, this is fascinating. This has been really fun. Um, and thanks for, thanks for the tour. That was cool. <laughs> so. I made uh, the beds just in case. They're yeah. not usually that made. <laughs> my kids are not that talented at nip and tuck. So um, quick shout out again to Lead411 and Gone.io, our sponsors. Uh, please check them out if you ever haven't. Um, if you're using them, you know what? Tweet at us. Tell us what you love about it. We'd love to engage on social media about it. Uh, but Darian, thank you so much. Um, where can people connect with you? LinkedIn is the easiest way? I almost feel like that's a trick question. I mean, I don't have an Instagram. I don't know how to tweet. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. LinkedIn's what you got. <laughs> don't want any more than that. You really don't. No. I don't. I like my kids. I like spending time with them. Yep. So thanks again, Darian. We really appreciate it. Yeah, Thank you. Oh, Darian.